podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Some of the topics are addiction, fear, faith, self-compassion, relationships, codependency, emotional intelligence, and more. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Vada, in nature, represents the elements of space and air and is considered light, quick, dry, rough, and cold. It is also the element of movement. Too much of any of these qualities will imbalance the body. One must learn how to keep Vada balanced or else all therapies will give only partial relief. The thyroid cannot handle the constant hyperactivity of imbalanced vata, and it ends up weakening this very delicate gland. Natural remedies, which are remedies grown in nature, contain nature's healing and life-supporting vibration known as prana. Prana delivers intelligence to the cells and helps cellular communication directing all the cell's activities. For utmost healing, the remedies you use should be found in nature, such as herbs, foods, and spices. The prana contained in these nutrients is delivered deep into the cells, giving an intelligent response. Dr. Marianne Teitelbaum This episode is about ancient wisdom and thyroid healing with Ayurveda, and we'll be listening to her. Dr. Marianne Teitelbaum. Marianne graduated summa cum laude from Palmer College of Chiropractic in 1984. She immediately began her studies with Mariasha Ayurveda, obtaining Ayurvedic practitioner certification in 1992. In the late 1990s, she began a 17-year one-on-one internship with Vyadia Ramakant Miishara, an award-winning herbal formulator who hails from a 5,000-year-old family lineage of Raj Vyadias, treating the royalty of India. During her internship, Vyadia Miishara taught her how to treat practically every disease, making over 500 herbal formulas for all the problems they were treating together. Dr. Teitelbaum is now writing books, articles, blogs, and courses based on the knowledge Vyadia Mishara imparted to her before his untimely passing in April of 2017. Her first book, Ayurveda and the Thyroid Gland, Natural Treatments to Heal Hypothyroidism, Hyperthyroidism, and Hashimoto's, published by Inner Traditions Publishing Company, is due out in March of 2019. To read Marianne's full biography, please visit fitforjoy.org podcast. Here is the interview with Dr. Marianne Teitelbaum. In your own words, who is Marianne Teitelbaum? I'm a chiropractor who specializes in Ayurveda and nutrition, and I've been doing this for 30 years, seeing over 90,000 patients in my practice, and I treat just about everything that enters our office. 
My first question to you is somewhat unrelated to the subject of holistic medicine and Ayurveda. Do you have an unconventional understanding of what is to be a healthy person? Yes, and that's exactly why I'm writing books on every disease. And I first started out with this first book called Healing the Thyroid with Ayurveda. I started out writing about the thyroid, but I eventually will be writing books on every disease and how to treat them because the way we're treating it in allopathic or mainstream medicine is totally incorrect. And we don't have a system of traditional healing or holistic healing in America. It's trying to be established right now, but we don't have this tradition like they do in Ayurveda. So I'll be showing in each of my books the way they're tr- being, the patients are being treated now with mainstream medicine, with holistic medicine, which a lot of it might be okay, but not so great because we don't know our herbs. And I'm going to show people a way out. So it's truly alternative and truly natural medicine where all the remedies we're using were grown in nature and they're not synthetic like lots of the vitamins that are being used in holistic medicine today. Right. Wow. That's interesting because most of us, at least me, I thought that holistic medicine was the uh, the solution for most of our illnesses. So what is the difference exactly between holistic medicine, uh, alternative medicine, and conventional medicine? Conventional medicine decided many years ago that they would be isolating the active ingredients out of the herbs, making them synthetically in a lab at a very high dose, uh, which makes them toxic and have side effects. They do work, but it does make them toxic nonetheless. So then as a result, in the 1970s, many people said, we need an alternative to that. Uh, But, you know, there are these things called vitamins and minerals and amino acids in food. Why don't we isolate them out of their context in nature, out of the food? And why don't we make them synthetically in a lab at very high doses? So the same mistake was made in what we consider holistic medicine as mainstream medicine. So that is one issue. The other issue is that the ancient doctors of India said that as we go through life, the body will go out of balance. They describe six stages of imbalances that we go through as we work our way towards a disease. In the first two stages, something's out of balance, but there's no symptoms yet. By the third and fourth stage, there's symptoms, but it can't be detected on Western diagnostic tools. And then by the fifth and sixth stage, you can be diagnosed. So the goal of medicine should be to see where are you along that path and reverse it so you don't get to that fifth and sixth stage. But in allopathic mainstream medicine, doctors are trained to diagnose and treat disease. So they pretty much let us go to a disease state like diabetes or cancer. And then they show us how to suppress the symptoms using their synthetic drugs. That's not how medicine should be practiced. Wow. Um, so you don't recommend that we take vitamins, supplements? Especially not synthetic. One of the things in Ayurveda is that in nature, there's this uh, vibrant, vital life force that keeps us alive. The Chinese call it qi. The people in India call it prana. And what it is, is the vibration from the sun and the moon hitting the herbs as they grow out in the fields hitting the food as it's growing outside, also hitting the water as it flows down the mountain streams and it's in the air we breathe. So part of my book is a big explanation on this pranic energy. We don't want to kill it by microwaving the food, freezing it, canning it, having it left over or processed. Uh, That's why many countries like Italy, they have the most health there because they're eating fresh every day. They're not using processed food. In the same way, the nutrients that we take, the ancient doctors described how to take the herbs from the earth and keep the pranic energy intact. Otherwise, they won't have such a great influence or maybe even a bad one if the prana dies. The pranic energy is what gives our cells the intelligence to perform all their functions correctly. That's how the cells communicate. That's how we know when to make ATP or neurotransmitters or hormones provided that the food that we're eating has the prana intact, the supplements we're taking has prana intact in the water also. So when it comes to the supplements, if we synthetically make them in a lab, there's no vibration of the sun and moon on them, no prana, no chi. 
So they might have an effect. It's not to say they won't, but just like their pharmaceutical cousins, they'll be toxic to the liver and kidneys and they'll have side effects. I think I'm not the only one, but a lot of people take supplements. I try to research on the labs and now I'll look closer into it now after talking to you. If you look at the two traditional, the most ancient traditional healing systems in the world, Ayurveda is the most ancient, followed by the Chinese. And I can guarantee you that those two systems are not using synthetic vitamins. That makes sense to me. Yeah. There's a reason why, because they do understand this concept, which we don't quite understand here in America yet. Another thing that you mentioned was leftovers. That is like something that I often do and most people do as well for practical reasons. We wanted to prepare the food a day, two days before. We don't want to cook every day. Well, actually, many countries around the world do that. And uh, I watched the documentary on Italy because they've been showing so much. They were voted the healthiest country last year. And they actually followed the people who go out to work. They followed them home on their lunch break for two hours. And they actually cooked their lunch. Whereas here, we might eat leftovers from the night before or go out to eat. So the best thing I tell my patients is to find quick, easy meals. It might take about 15 minutes to make. You could grill some chicken and put some rice and quinoa on and chop a vegetable and simmer it. So it doesn't have to be fancy. And on the days when you have time to cook, then you could do more elaborate dishes like a chicken soup with rice and vegetables, something like that. But you'll feel the most vibrant health. Your cells will be vibrating the most healthy if the food you're eating has that most pranic energy and it was just cooked today. You know, we could take a food like an apple and slice it and it doesn't take long. It turns brown or a banana. And so all food is like that. It's just that it doesn't always turn brown. But that brown color is oxidation, which means the food is dying. It's going downhill. The prana is dying. And we've seen that when we taste broccoli that we made yesterday. It's kind of limp. So we don't want our cells to be limp and dumb and dead like that. And that's why countries like ours, who have lots of processed foods, where we can buy things off the shelf already prepared for us, but we're one of the sickest countries in the world. So it's a trade-off. You have convenience, but Mm. then you have very ill health. So true, Marianne. Wow. Um, What about animal products? It's funny. The ancient doctors were one of the early um, systems that described bone broth. They, They said you don't have to be vegetarian in order to be healthy, but they did talk about laws of karma, and they said there would be less karma if the animal was smaller. So it would be better to have chicken, turkey, fish if you didn't want to be vegetarian. But they also said, however, that if you do want to be vegetarian, that you still need animal protein in the diet every day. So then it would come from the milk of an animal where you're not killing the animal and getting that karma. So um, this tradition is not a vegan diet where there's no animal protein Uh, That sounds interesting to me. I don't like chicken, no red meat. I like fish, but not every day. That's interesting. You're talking about every day have some kind of animal consumption, cheese perhaps, but not um, not flesh, not the meat. Mm -hmm. Go according to how you feel. If you feel better with less meat, then learn how to make cheese from the milk, like paneer or freshly made curd cheese. The curd cheeses are easier to digest than when they're aged and hard, like provolone or American cheese. So you don't want to clog your body's physical channels, but you do want to nourish your body. And in my book, I have all these protocols and uh, about taking milk in the correct way. We don't want to just drink it cold. And on top of that, we want good quality milk. Yes, from grass-fed cows, right? Grass-fed also, when you milk a cow and you let the milk sit, the cream rises to the top. You don't want to tamper with that layer of cream. Nowadays, we homogenize it, which is very bad for our health to do that. But I direct our patients as to the various places where you can get unhomogenized milk. Different farms around the country, also Whole Foods Market sells it and some other markets. So, But again, with milk, you have to boil it. Uh, You can't drink it cold or else it'll clog your throat and sinuses. So there's this nice protocol for taking milk in the correct way in the Ayurvedic tradition. Right. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, What is the primary function of the thyroid gland? The thyroid controls every cell in your body. It's one of those 
very unique glands. It's the only gland who controls every cell. And then in reverse, anything that's out of balance in your body will affect the thyroid. Uh, that's why we're having such an epidemic of thyroid problems. But it basically controls your metabolism, um, the amount of calcium you're absorbing in the bones. Uh, for instance, if your thyroid was weak, your hair could fall out, your bones could become osteoporotic or osteopenia. You would have low energy, weight gain because your metabolism slowing down, and uh, those types of things where you're kind of slow down and tired. These are some of the symptoms. What are the two types of thyroid patients? There's basically two types you'll see. And the first type are people who have full-blown thyroid symptoms, like I just mentioned, weight gain, also depression, constipation, fatigue, tendency to miscarriages. And yet when they draw their blood work, everything looks okay. So they leave the doctor's office feeling frustrated and hopeless because they're told nothing's wrong with them. But then there is a second group who do have those symptoms and their blood work does show problems with the thyroid. But yet when they take the thyroid hormone, it doesn't do much for their symptoms. They still continue to have their symptoms. And that's because the thyroid gland will stop making its hormones once you're taking it from the outside. And it actually goes into a hibernation. But see, mm -hmm. what we're saying, what I'm saying in the book is that we want to fix the reason why the thyroid was weak, if we can identify that, and it's a little different in each person, sometimes more than one reason, then the thyroid gland will perk right back up. So we don't want to just jump right away and um, take the hormone when our thyroid's weak. How does the thyroid affect the bladder, gallbladder function? The gallbladder. Yes. Well, from seeing so many thousands and thousands of patients who have thyroid problems, through my 30 years in practice, I started to see a pattern emerge in that nearly every thyroid patient that I was seeing also had problems with the gallbladder. So when I decided to write the book, I thought, I can't just say that I see that. I have to back that up with research. And when I looked, sure enough, the research was there. So it turns out that when the thyroid is weak, the gallbladder won't empty the bile. So in my book, I have one whole chapter devoted to what happens when the bile doesn't flow? It's actually very interesting. And what to do about it if the bile is getting too thick? You don't want it to sit there. It turns into a sludge. Instead of being like a thinned out liquid that squirts when you eat food, it can get very thick and turn into a sludge. And then if, it lets, if you let it sit too long without diagnosing it, it could develop gallstones, in which case you now have gallbladder disease. So you want to pick it up early on and just Promote the flow of bile out of the gallbladder with the herbs I recommend, teas, foods. Uh, and it's a very easy thing to do. So that way, uh, you will never have to worry about having gallbladder disease. Mm, wow. And I know you mentioned um, or you talk a lot about Ayurveda. Um, can you talk to me a bit more about it? Well, again, it's a traditional form of healing from India. But having said that, it doesn't mean that you have to eat Indian food or adopt some Hindu religious practices has nothing to do with that. It's just a system of natural healing that we need to borrow from them from India because we don't have a very deep tradition of holistic medicine in the United States. So, so my teacher from India who sat with me for 20 years, he made formulas for all the different types of problems we were seeing. So I have use of over 500 herbal formulas which is unique. It's, it's not common in America to go to doctors who know how to use hundreds of formulas for your health. In fact, it's quite rare. What would you say are the first steps to heal thyroid? So let's say you find out your thyroid's weak, whether or not it shows up in the blood work. Because I'll tell you, if you have your hair falling and you've had a miscarriage or you're feeling tired and you're gaining weight, whether or not it shows up in the blood work, I can guarantee your thyroid's not real happy. So the first step is to see what's affecting the thyroid. So the book lays out all the reasons. I could quickly go through some of them, uh, but one of them is that many of us are drinking fluoridated tap water. That means we're putting fluoride in the tap water, and fluoride poisons the thyroid gland. So that's one problem we see. So I have to pull the 
fluoride off the thyroid gland. I could feel that in a person's pulse. That, that's the way we diagnose in Ayurveda. We could feel a person's pulse. So I can very quickly, within a few seconds, see if there's some fluoride on the patient's thyroid. Then I have to instruct them not to drink the tap water, show them the good type of water to drink. Another problem we see frequently is lots of times they put mercury in the flu shots. So people who have to get flu shots every year, the, the mercury in those immunizations looks exactly like iodine. And the thyroid gland is the only gland who uses iodine. So any iodine that comes into your body, the thyroid is programmed to suck it up. So mercury looks almost exactly like iodine. So when the mercury comes in in the flu shot, or the mercury silver fillings in your mouth, um, it attaches to the thyroid and it starts to poison the thyroid. So the same thing, we have to pull the mercury off. Now, there's some people who don't have those problems. They might not be eating enough animal protein in the diet because they feel that they want to be vegetarian and they're misinterpreting a vegetarian diet as meaning a diet that has no animal protein. The correct interpretation, according to the strict vegetarians of Ayurvedic uh, philosophy, is that you're not killing the animal to get the animal protein. So you would have milk and milk products like freshly made curd cheeses or yogurt, warm milk. So in the patients who aren't having any animal protein every day or enough, the thyroid gland will weaken because the hormones of the thyroid gland are made out of animal protein. So, and, and then there's other people who are rushing through the day. They're in a constant fight or flight response where they're rushing. And while our body was made to have an occasional fight or flight response where we can run from the danger, if we're constantly rushing, multitasking, pushing too hard, working too long hours, over-exercising, then the glandular system, including the thyroid gland, just gets very weak. So there's some of the possible reasons why the thyroid might be weak. There's a few others, but they're some of the main ones that I see every day in my practice. And the tap water you mentioned is like a big thing, something to change, not just for those who are diagnosed with thyroid problems, but for all of us as a prevention. Yes, because see... In in, in the 1930s, when someone had hyperthyroid, that means the thyroid was working too fast, they would give them fluoride in order to tone it down, but it worked so well, it killed the whole gland, so they had to stop using it. And it was shortly after that they put it in the water, thinking that it would keep our teeth nice. And, and while it might keep the teeth nice, it actually hurts the bones, but it poisons the thyroid gland. So the problem is that Every new patient, I'll ask them if they're drinking their tap water, and many of them will say yes, but they're filtering it. But the, most filters will not filter out fluoride because they're putting it in there on purpose. They don't want to filter it out because they think it's a good thing. So, so we have to instruct them the good type of water to get. Mm. And you also find fluoride in toothpaste. That's the one I buy. It's fluoride-free. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yes. It's in toothpaste. And when you go to the dentist, they want to give fluoride treatment. So I would just say no thank you to that. <laughs> Good. Um, your book's called Ayurveda in the Thyroid Gland. What inspired you? Have you had thyroid problems in the past yourself? No, it wasn't coming from me as much as um, of, I treat every disease. In the course of one day, I'm treating fibromyalgia, MS, autism, food allergies. But by far in one week, the, the thing I treat the most is the thyroid uh, because it's at epidemic levels. So um, when I decided I want to write books on all the diseases and how to correctly treat them, I decided to start with the thyroid because it's a very easy thing to understand. The book is very easy. It's an easy read. And so many people are suffering for no good reason. And they're being taken down paths that are incorrect whether they see their endocrinologist, uh, that's like their doctor who's treating the thyroid, or whether they're seeing some holistic doctor, both paths are incorrect. So I felt people needed to know a way out so they could correctly treat it. Well, again, um, we, don't we don't have a tradition of holistic medicine. If I had to look at the herbs that we've discovered so far in America, 
I wouldn't know of too many herbs that you could use to support the thyroid gland. But see, really, it's not just Ayurveda. A lot of this is just common sense. Like whatever country you're in, no matter what the traditional healing system might be there, you would not want to drink water with fluoride in it or get flu shots every year that have mercury. Mercury is the most deadly poison known to mankind. So of course it's going to hurt the thyroid as well as other cells in the body. So it's not like those ancient doctors of India said, don't put fluoride in your tap water and don't get mercury shots. They actually didn't have those things when these books were written. But they did say this. They said, we will leave the textbooks of Ayurveda open for the future doctors of Ayurveda to come in and write the new chapters. And when my teacher came from India, he had come from a village. He was sent here because he knew how to make hundreds and hundreds of formulas. He knew 700 herbs. And his family were the premier Ayurvedic practitioners in India, and they treated the royalty of India. So he came here, this very high level of Ayurveda. And when he sat with me for all those years, these were things he had never seen either. He had never felt the pulse of someone who's drinking fluoride in the tap water or getting lots of immunizations, way too many that the children get or taking too many birth control pills, which also upsets thyroid function, or on and on and on. So so he actually did rewrite the new chapters of Ayurveda, and that's exactly what I'm talking about in my book. So this book is kind of like a little bit of an upgrade to those ancient texts where those doctors wouldn't have known that we would be doing these types of things. That is so wonderful. It's yeah. very interesting, very interesting. Yeah, thank you so much for your contribution to health. So your book has recipes, which is great. You have lots of them so people can adopt that diet or change it. Do you want to say anything else on the topic we have been talking about before I move on with um, unrelated topics? There's only one other thing that actually compelled me to write this book that we haven't discussed on the thyroid gland. And that is that there's a disease called Hashimoto's, which is a disease where the immune system is attacking the thyroid gland. And so it used to be rare and now it's at epidemic levels. It's the most common autoimmune disease now in America. And this too is being treated totally incorrectly. So what's happening is the immune system is attacking the thyroid gland. So it can't make its hormones. So when you see the doctors, all they do for you is put you on synthetic thyroid hormone, or it could be natural either way. But there's no attention made towards fixing the immune system. So to me, this is um, a total outrage that no one is saying this is what needs to be done. And also, it's very obvious what needs to be done and no one's doing it. But in my book, I describe the fact that there's three parts to the immune system, which are the friendly bacteria in the gut the liver and the bone marrow, and what happens to them in this modern era as they get toxic from all the pharmaceuticals we take, and then how it can upset the immune function, but also what you have to do to get the immune system back on track so it regains its intelligence and stops attacking the thyroid, and that's the correct way to treat Hashimoto's. Is that related to food allergy? Because that's something that I, I had a test before. It was wonderful. It just felt so much better. I stopped eating all the foods that I was allergic to. No, see, it's the opposite. What has happened in this modern era is that we've all taken so many medications that have disrupted our digestion. For example, Antibiotics kill the good, friendly bacteria in the gut as well as the bad bacteria, and we've all taken them. Immunizations wipe out the strains of the friendly bacteria as well. They also go through the liver, all the chemicals and the immunizations, and they disrupt the liver function, which is also part of the digestive tract. And then there's many other medications like birth control pills, which damage several parts of the digestive system. They wipe out the friendly bacteria in the gut. They disturb the liver function and they make the bile very thick in the gallbladder because they're cholesterol hormones, so they thicken the bile. So there's many other medications that upset the, um, the gut, like proton pump inhibitors for acid reflux, steroids. I could go on and on, but the point is most of us have been exposed to some of those medications, and as a result, our digestive tracts don't work well. 
So when the food comes in, it actually turns into a poison. I have the name of the poison. Uh, we call Amavisha in Ayurveda. So you're eating healthy food, but it doesn't break down the way it should. It remains stuck in the gut and it rots and ferments. So then we interpret that, that we have this food sensitivity. So the protein and gluten and dairy are the two most difficult to digest. And unless your digestion is 100%, you won't be able to digest those. See, when I was growing up, there was no such thing as a lactose intolerance, gluten sensitivity, tree nut allergy, on and on that we see. But now that we're all over immunized, children receive so many dozens and dozens of shots. Now it's, it's, it's outrageously uh, too much. It's overwhelming their poor digestive system. Kids are on one antibiotic after the other for ear infections. They don't have a fighting chance to have a normal digestive system, just like someone who's been on birth control pills for a few years. So when these foods come in, they're registered as a toxin because they are producing you know, a poison now. But we're turning it to make it look like, oh, I just feel better if I, eat, if I don't eat this food or that food or this. And that's not the answer. You will feel better. But the real answer is to fix your digestion so you can go back to eating those foods. I take probiotic and that seems to help, but I don't know how much. I tried to research too about probiotics. What kind of probiotic do you recommend? In the book, I'll have a whole section on it. And what I did early on in my practice, because people were coming in with so much digestive upset and overgrowth of yeast and all that, which comes from lack of friendly bacteria in the gut. They were taking the probiotics, but they were continuing to suffer. So I looked at all the probiotic companies under a microscope. It took me two days. And what I found was the cultures were dead in every company, including the nice yogurts from Whole Foods. So once I saw that, I did find one company who had live cultures. And I called up that company and I asked them how they were able to process the probiotic and not kill the cultures. And they said, it's very difficult to do. Uh, They took the strains from Russia and they had to set up a, a very, um, like a corporation where they are very tightly controlling the environment that they're producing the probiotics in. So the mm-hmm. name of the company is ProTrend. It's also called Natrin. And I discussed that in my book. These are the only probiotics I'll use because they work, you know, and uh, the others have either lesser strains or maybe no strains of live bacteria at all. You'll see, I'll mention it in the book. And then I have the resource at the end of the book where to get it. Yeah, I'll take a look at that for sure. And have the link under your um, podcast profile because that is crucial. Yeah, I know how important it is for digestion. The stomach, once that doesn't work, it really feels like nothing works. Yes, but that's also true with the liver function. In this modern era, the liver's overheating from so many chemicals going through it, much like alkaline rainwater when it goes through air pollution it becomes acid rain our liver has too many acid toxins in it so when the food comes in instead of processing it correctly it turns it into like a poison and then that upsets us also um, that chapter on the gallbladder will describe what will happen if your bile doesn't flow and that is also at epidemic levels on any given day i'd say at least two-thirds of my patients have the bile where it's too thick That's why it's the number one surgery in the United States, because doctors don't know how to pick it up at the stage where it's just thick bile. Instead, they let it progress to the gallstones and then it's diseased and you have to have it removed. Wow, Marianne, this is really um, eye-opening. I think also comes down to understanding that we have to take care of our health, take more responsibility instead of just... um, letting uh, conventional doctors tell us what to do and how to do it. Because of them that we're in this boat now. See, they're using these pharmaceuticals, which thankfully we have them. It's wonderful to have antibiotics and things like that and steroids, but we have to learn how to use them judiciously, carefully, because they do have these side effects. But the doctors just give them to us and then they don't really tell us what to do because you know the side effects that they've created. Yeah, so we're kind of on our own when it comes to the side effects then. I think conventional medicine, like you said, all these medications, antibiotics, they have their place for emergency, right? If we need, yeah. Yes, they do. Oh, definitely. 
Yeah, we have to be aware of side effects and how to treat them on our own. And I love what you, everything that you've been saying. So um, let me ask you some questions about well-being, spirituality. And the first one is, how do you define spirituality? Well, every cell in our body is inherently has the capability of experiencing bliss, higher states of consciousness. The problem is that that potential is just in a seed level. The ancient doctor said it's just a seed and that we need to germinate and grow the seed. The way they describe to do it is through vibrations because every cell in our body is vibrating. So they developed what are called seed mantras and mantras are just vibrations of sound like Om is one of them. But these seed mantras help to grow that seed of enlightenment, which again is inherent in every one of our cells, so that we can experience very high states of consciousness and experience enlightenment. And that's what spirituality is. Right. When you say high state of consciousness, do you have an idea what that is? Yes. Most of us are living in three states, which is waking, dreaming, and deep sleep. But there's more transcendent states, we could call them, these higher states where we can experience God, actually, um, or unity consciousness, just different levels uh, that we might have read about, that people might have been enlightened, whether it's Buddha or Krishna or Christ, that they've all come to this earth to let us know there's more than what we know, but sometimes requires some discipline to do some spiritual practices in order to reap the benefits of those, uh, you know, the higher states of consciousness. So, yes, I would say that practices. What are your spiritual practices? Uh, I do. Um, first, I do yoga asanas, where we the the yoga practices remove the blocks and the flow of prana in the body. Then I do what we call pranayama, which I'll explain in the book. Pranayama is alternate nostril breathing, which also helps to balance out the brain hemispheres. And then after that, I do meditation to help me get in touch with those more transcendent states of being so that my nervous system starts to develop um, that awareness at a deeper level beyond what the mind is telling us. So we have to go beyond the mind. We can't think about this higher state of consciousness. It's not in the mind. It's in all of our cells. So this, these mantras help you get beyond that thinking that I want to be in this state of consciousness. It won't work if you think about it. Right. What is the mind? Do you, do you know what thoughts are? Uh, well, you know, they're just products of the mind. That's why we want to get beyond the mind and we want to get actually to this seat of vibration at the level of the cells. And we want to unlock that vibrant energy within the cell that would create enlightenment. So the mind is just something different. It's just experiencing thoughts. And especially if we have stress, we have more thoughts. So the, the mind isn't really the seat of consciousness. It's not the seat of these spiritual states. So, you know, that's why we want to get beyond the mind. What is another word for healing? Another word for healing? That where we're just nudging the body in the right direction. I can't think of one word, but the way I describe it is that you identify what the imbalances are in that person. You fix them. You teach them proper diet, daily routine, like bedtime. Teach them how to get out in nature. And as they do all these things, it helps the cells to regain their intelligence and their vibration of healing. All the cells are vibrant. They're all vibrating. Like I keep coming back to that idea that we're just these little packets of vibration go and kind of like light actually. And so the, the vibration can get thrown off. So then we can experience ill health. So if we can get that vibration back on track through the form of herbs or diet, being in nature, being in the sunlight, the moonlight, that's where all the vibration comes from. Then we experience true healing. See these synthetic things like vitamins, synthetic vitamins and pharmaceuticals don't have that vibration. So we can't heal the poor vibration in ourselves with something that's dead like that. See? Right. Yeah. It makes so much sense, of course. Um, what is love to you? Uh, it's just one of those expressions of higher states of consciousness that 
It's one of those things that happens automatically as we're experiencing these higher states. It's just love. Uh, we look at something and we see ourselves in that thing because all of nature, whatever you're looking at, whether it's a tree or a plant or water or the sunlight, everything is is all similar. We're all the same. You know, they have the saying, I am that, thou art that, this is that. Everything is vibrating the same. And so when you're experiencing a very high state of consciousness, consciousness, you'll see love in everything. So it's that exquisite state of uh, unbounded awareness where love is flowing to everything. It's not just, oh, I'm in love with that person, but everything can engender love in you. Mm, wow. Um, especially if they can do that to us, we can feel that way. Um, if we can use the word feel love for things that they seem, that seem not perfect. Yes, and it's best to experience the love coming from within your own being and that we don't want to think that if I can only be with this person, then I can experience love. See what I'm saying? Yeah, it, it's not like that. It should be coming from deep inside of us and radiating out as opposed to us thinking, uh, if I can find this right person, then I can experience love. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, what was the hardest lesson to learn about yourself, others, and life? When I was younger, I never felt well. And I didn't know, now that I look back, I know why my mother raised us on processed foods. She didn't breastfeed me. So many things like that. It wasn't her fault. It's just what they did back then. They fed us bad oils. We had corn oil and pro everything processed. We had margarine instead of butter. We had white bread instead of beautiful whole grains and frozen or canned vegetables. So I always felt very sick. And I felt thought when you when I was young that when I was sick I would go to a doctor and they would make me well. So my mother would take me to doctors because I really couldn't get out of bed even when I was four years old. And she would take me and they would tell her nothing was wrong with me. And um, I remember at one point when I was a teenager teenager I was still feeling very sick. She took me to so many doctors and they all said to her, it must be in her head because we can't find any disease. Meanwhile, I'm eating all this terrible food. And they said, why don't you take her to a psychiatrist? And I remember that day, my mother took me and the psych I was 16 years old. And the psychiatrist said, do you get along with your siblings? And I said, yes, because we had a really nice family and I love them. And I still do to this day. We've never had any issues. And they said, well, what about your parents? And the same way, we never had a generation gap with them. They were our best friends. And we just had a wonderful home life. And so they said, well, what about your boyfriend? And I said, well, I don't even have a boyfriend. And they said, my mother, that's why she's been sick all these years. I said, okay, I'm four years old. And I'm they said, she's depressed because she doesn't have a boyfriend. So I turned away at that point. I remember that day. I, we went outside and I looked up at the trees and I said to my mother with tears in my eyes, I said, you know, I'm done. I'm not going to doctors anymore. There's something wrong with their approach. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to find the correct approach to this. And it took me many years, but I first started taking vitamins, which made me worse. But this was my own journey. So it was a terrible thing to go through at such a young age and feel like this whole tradition of medicine is not going to be able to help me. I felt very alone in the world, but it led me to this where I'm able to help so many thousands of people now. And I see why I had to go through it. So sometimes these terrible things in our lives turn out to be the very thing that will spawn us on to helping others. So we can't look at them as total negatives. Right. That's wonderful. I love the way you're saying that. Yeah. Express beauty in health. What is your definition of success? Uh, success is that you end up doing what is called your dharma. Whatever you were born to do, it's wonderful if you can figure out what you were born to do, what your talents are. That is success. It has nothing to do with how much money you make or the profession you're in. My brother, my family's Italian, and they were always construction workers and worked with their hands. And my brother is a bricklayer, and he works with his hands. And everywhere he goes, he looks at the buildings, and he mm -hmm. loves to see how they're laying the brick. So he's this master bricklayer. And I remember growing up, people would tell my mother, 
why don't you let him go to college? You know, he should get a college degree. And she said, but he loves bricklaying, you know. So that is what success is. Whatever you were born to do in this life, and then you'll be truly successful where at the end of the day, when you're done working, you actually have energy and you don't feel drained saying, oh, I hate my job. But instead you say, I love what I do. And and you just, at the end of the day, look at what you've done and you're so happy that each day is fulfilled like that. Yeah. Oh, I love that definition. I think the the challenge there might be that we might love doing things that are not practical, like for artists, right? I, I know a lot of them and that's stuff for them. What is to be strong in your opinion? You know, the same thing. To, to really understand these concepts in life and to go through life uh, really understanding it, um, not like physical strength, but strength to get you through um, each day, even though we all have these hurdles in our way. And we just continue to know that it's just a hurdle right now and we'll get beyond that someday. And then through life, you become stronger as you go through all these obstacles. Yes, and learn. If you knew you would die soon, would you make any change uh, to your life? Would you do anything differently? No, because I'm doing exactly what I love to do. I love to be with my family. I've raised my children the best way I knew how, and I love my work. So um, I could die at any point in time, and I would feel fulfilled. (laughs) That's wonderful, Marianne. Really wonderful. Do you believe in life after death? Uh, Yes, I do, because our bodies are made of energy, like I was saying before. And we all know that energy is neither created nor destroyed. So while we might shed the physical body, the energy that our body is continues on. So so that's what that life is after death. Right. Do you have um, any ideas or beliefs or wishes um, for that energy to be something and to be transported to a, some kind of heaven or reincarnation or mind continuation? The ancient doctors said that um, as we learn so much in our lives and we develop our consciousness and awareness, uh, we go through different stages of development. And in our next life, when we decide to take on another physical body, we'll continue on where we left off. So we don't have to go through all the those early stages again. So for example, in my life, I started out not knowing what a good diet was and not knowing what profession I want to be in. In my next life, I will start out automatically eating this way. I will have that knowledge because they say that that knowledge stays with you. It stays around the soul. They, they kind of um, describe it as the sattva, they call it, like a, it's like a wave of energy that is a light around the soul. And within that light, the way my teacher from India would describe it, he said it's like little bugs, little bugs of each lifetime that have accumulated that these packets of knowledge, and they will stay with you forever. So you'll continue on in your progress to your enlightenment. Mm, wow. So would you say that is a belief or uh, this is a knowledge, understanding? What would you call it? Uh, well, it's just something that I've studied and it rings true to me, put it that way. I think we all come from different backgrounds and whatever rings true to you, it could be that that is what it will be like in your afterlife. You know, some people might see Jesus and some people might see Buddha or Krishna. Um, so it depends maybe on the vibration that's around you, what, what you'll experience. Yeah, it's very personal in a way. It's hard to uh, yeah explain. Um, would you be okay if there was actually nothing after death? I wouldn't have a choice. <laughs> <laughs> right. It would be a little depressing to me to think that this was it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, but if you're living the life that you're supposed to be living and you're satisfied with everything you've done and you're doing right now, then um, that was beautiful. Let me ask you my last question. What are three things about life you know for sure? That it's unpredictable and um, it's full of beauty. It just depends on how you see it. So if you could change your consciousness, you could be coming at it instead of looking at everything negatively to someone who's looking at it in a positive way. But in order to do that, you have to change your own inner being. So that's another 
And um, the third is, I guess, don't worry about the past because your vibration keeps getting stronger and higher and higher. And the person that you are today is so different than the way you were 10 years ago. You've learned so much since then. You've developed yourself spiritually more since then. So there's no need to go back and keep rehashing that my mother did this or that one did that. And just keep, uh, you know, thinking about that because it just keeps pulling you back. It's best just to move forward. Yeah, I like that a lot. Thank you so much for this conversation. It has been very meaningful and healthy. God, you got me thinking. I have to make a lot of change now <laughs> about my diet. Um, where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, future projects? Um, my book is available at Amazon. It's, again, Healing the Thyroid with Ayurveda by Dr. Marianne Teitelbaum. It's also found in all Barnes & Noble's bookstores and many others. You could look on my website. Just Google my name, Dr. Marianne Teitelbaum. My website will come up. You could also follow me on Facebook. You could like my page. It's Dr. Marianne Teitelbaum. Because on there, I have... Um, I make posts about different health problems that I'm treating and I'm always showing the best way to treat those things. So I have lots of followers who are always seeing what I'm posting and that they really enjoy my posts. That's really great. Thank you so much again. I really appreciate that conversation, Marianne. Bye for now. Oh, thank you for having me. Goodbye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Dr. Marianne Teitelbaum, please visit her website, drmteitelbaum.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Vickrock. Thank you again for listening, and bye for now. Mm-hmm.